Welcome to Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. My special guest today is an NKU alum and who continues to serve veterans, but we'll get into that in just a minute. But first, welcome to the show, and to get started, do you mind just stating your name and the branch of service you were in? Uh, thanks, Rusty. My name is Ian Kirst. Uh, I was in the United States Army and then uh, continued my service in the, uh, in the National Guard for a short period of time afterwards. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you tremendously for taking the time out of your day to, to come over and sit down and talk to us. My first question I always ask is, why the Army? So the Army, um, well, to be honest, the, they, had a, they had a booth set up at, when I was doing my initial college you know, visit here at NKU. I was required to stay overnight one night in the dorms, and it was in between uh, the, the summer, in between my senior year graduation of high school and uh, the first semester of college. Myself, I did not have any desire to go to school straight out of high school. I was done with school. I, you know, I thought I knew better than my parents, and my parents urged me just do one semester, just do one semester. So, the first thing I noticed when I got to like the initial, uh, like all the booths, they had all these booths set out there for all the different programs and, and one of them happened to be ROTC. Mm. And it was uh, Xavier Army ROTC and uh, I, I spoke with, uh, with a, a, a young Major Diley at the time yeah. and uh, he was the, the uh, recruitment officer for uh, Xavier University and uh, I spoke with him, liked what he had to say and uh, liked what the, the program, the ROTC program had to offer. And uh, I figured it was a good compromise for what my parents wanted for me and what I wanted for myself. Absolutely. And just to be clear, what time frame was that? About? This time frame was about, it was, it was the summer of 2007. Okay. So the height of, you know, pretty much the, the war in Iraq and um, Afghanistan was right. still going strong. Right. Um, you know, so, and, and I was deeply impacted by, by 9-11. And... At, from that moment on, I knew, you know, it was my duty as a, as a young American, you know, with so much privilege as an American, I had to serve my country. Um, for those that aren't familiar with ROTC, can you explain a little bit what that process looked like? ROTC, it's uh, basically, it's, it's a program for, for those who want to uh, go into the military and serve in the, in the, uh, in the officer realm. And it's, it's like a trial. It's mm -hmm. like a military trial period. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Right. It's a great way for those who are interested in the military, who may not be the greatest at taking orders, but you know have leadership ability and and know when to lead and know when to follow. Absolutely. And with the ROTC program now, we don't have one here at NKU per se. That's correct. And like you said, you mentioned it was with Xavier, so we have That's a cross town agreement with Xavier. Yes. How hard was it to be an NKU student? have to go to Xavier to do ROTC? So, uh, you know, at the time when I was going, it was, I, I understand that now it's, it's a little bit easier. 
they, they do cater a little bit more to the students here at, at NKU. When I was going, it was, it was a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I was required to go up there uh, four days a week, wow. every morning, um, well, pretty much every morning. Actually, no, it was five days a week. It was, I had to be up there five days a week. So essentially, I had to drive, uh, you know, for PT, which is, for those who aren't aware, it's physical training. Uh, so we would do an hour of PT every morning from 6.30 to about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And we would, uh, we would do, you know, run, push-ups, sit-ups, you know, the, the, the realm to, you know, basically train yourself physically for the demands of the military. Mm -hmm. Then there was a, a, a day of uh, what we called lab, which essentially was, it was mostly just tactics. It was a tactics, uh, squad tactics lanes. You, you know, that was every, every Tuesday. And then on Thursdays, we would, do, we would have a class where we would learn basic military skills, mm. uh, classroom style mil military skills. So with the RTC, now it's a four-year program, right? Correct. And so you get your degree at NKU. What did you end up getting your degree in, and how did that play into the job that you eventually took in the Army? So um, I, 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 through convoluted channels, mm -hmm. uh, I ended up with a criminal justice okay. degree. I started off as a pre-med major. Mm -hmm. uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do in college when I first got out. I mean, I, I thought, you know, hey, I could be a surgeon. I, you know, was that young, cocky, arrogant, you know, 18-year-old that thought I could do anything and do everything because I never really struggled in high school with academically. So I thought, you know, college will be a breeze. You know, this is going to be easy. The, you know, the, the only hard thing is going to be managing my time. Right. You know, uh, but... Ultimately, I, you know, I injured myself, ended up cutting my, my left thumb. And uh, when I was getting into the more advanced classes like organic chemistry and, uh, and uh, like calculus and, and uh, physics, I was taking all three in one semester. Wow. And I injured my left thumb, which happens to be my dominant hand that I write with. So I was, I had to learn how to write right-handed. Mm. Uh, at the time, I was on painkillers as well, so it was difficult for me to, to stay awake in class. Right. So I did terribly that semester uh, when, I, when I injured my thumb. And I cut it with a saw. It was bad, terrible. So I, I, I just decided, well, you know, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'll do something. I felt more passionate about the, my, my service to the country, my military service, in, in ROTC. I felt way more passionate about it. It was the thing I cared the most about. So I, I decided to do criminal justice because I could see myself as being a cop. It kind of fell in the line with what I like to do. And um, a good friend of mine was, was on the path to becoming a police officer. So he was working at a, at a, det a detention center. And, uh, you know, so like I was kind of like, all right, you know, law enforcement might be all right. So I decided to do that. And I when I took my first criminal justice class as, as a, uh, you know, kind of just as a feeler, uh, I had a class with uh, Professor Jill Shelley, and I loved, I, oh, wow. I loved having a class with her uh, here at NKU. It was a great experience. Well, now with ROTC, and correct me if I'm wrong, but with ROTC, you kind of have different options. You can either go active duty, guard, or reserves. That's correct. And what options did you choose, and what job did you end up doing then? So I, I, at the time, it was, uh, it was pretty competitive to get into a lot of the, the, the jobs that, that I wanted. Right. Um, 
I wanted to be an engineering officer because I lost a friend of mine to an IED, mm. uh, a mentor um, that I had when he was a senior when I was a freshman, and he taught me how to do land navigation. Now, did he pass away what, in Afghanistan or Iraq? It, it was Iraq. It okay. uh, was one of the last combat patrols during the, the first um, Iraq war. He was one, one of the last combat patrols in, uh, in, in Iraq, and uh, his striker got hit with an IED, and it had a profound impact on me. And it, right. it, it, from that point on, I was like, I want to be part of the solution. So I knew that there was two options generally that, that, you know, that dealt with IED. There's route clearance, which falls under the purview of engineers in the, in the Army. And then there's uh, UD. Mm-hmm. UD is a lot more difficult. It's, it's a, it's, and it's a gamble because there's no guarantee that you're going to make it through the school. There's no guarantee that you're going to get to go to the school. It has one of the highest attrition rates. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I, I, I got branched ordinance because <laughs> it was an option. And uh, it, was, it was on my list of things, you know, because there was always that pipe dream, you know, hey, maybe I might be able to make it through. Maybe I might be able to. So I, 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 worked, I worked my butt off to get, to, to get into the school. I, I, when I got to my officer basic course, I tried to be the best student in the class. I tried to be the best in every aspect, and, and, and it paid off. Right. I ended up being graduating number two of my class. Um, did the, uh, the whole interview process, and I ended up getting into getting the opportunity to go to UD school. Now, I had to, I had to jump through more hoops before I got there, right. but I ended up making it through all the, all the, the, the hurdles yeah, it, it took a, l- a little bit longer than expected, and there were some setbacks, as, as there are in life. Um, as I've learned in life, there's always going to be a setback. There's always going to be something that, you know, nothing ever in the military goes the exact way that you want it to. Adapt and overcome, right? Adapt and overcome, and that's what I did, and that's, that's how I made it through. And you went active duty after that, I correct? went active duty, right. correct. Yeah. Um, there are other, other opportunities. If, you know, if EOD was something that you wanted to do, there was always the opportunity that if you, you could go and serve uh, in a National Guard unit that does have EOD, you go through the same school. Right. Everyone goes to the same school, whether you're Army, whether you're Navy, whether you're Marine, or Air Force. We all go through the same school. The Navy has a little bit longer pathway because they do stuff that's underwater. Right. But the Army, the Air Force, and the Marines, we all deal with the same stuff on land. Hi, I'm Staff Sergeant Jason Myrtle. I'm the recruiter for the Kentucky Army National Guard here at NKU and in Northern Kentucky. The Kentucky Army National Guard offers 100% scholarship to any public university in Kentucky, along with a possible $20,000 enlistment bonus additional income while attending college, and numerous other benefits. If you have any interest or questions, my contact information will be in the show notes. Go Guard. So it was a purple school, basically, where all the, everybody was there together. Correct. Where's that school located? I'm not even that sure. That school is located on Eglin Air Force Base. Okay. It's a Navy school yep. on an Air Force installation mm-hmm. where most of the students are Army. Right. Yep. So it is very purple, but oftentimes because the Navy pipeline is so difficult because you have to go through dive school. You have to make it through dive school. You have to make it through airborne school. They all come to this school with those prior qualifications. So for them, if they lose somebody due to injury or somebody not making it through one of the schools, they have an open slot. So occasionally they'll, they'll sprinkle in, you know, uh-huh. army students or air force students into Navy classes. But by and large, the Navy kind of 
kind of stays to themselves. That's their school. They, right. they kind of get to, and it, it is really, it, it was kind of eye-opening to be in a Navy school because when you have Navy instructors that are, that are talking to you and they're describing uh, where to go, um, they'll start using words like portholes <laughs> and, and hit the deck and, uh, you know, uh, uh, bulkheads. And I'm like, what is a bulkhead? Right. <laughs> yeah. They start using ship terminology and I'm like, okay, um, I'm not quite sure what you're saying right. to me. Yeah. Now, how long is that school? Um, so the school itself, if you make it from, you know, as a, as a, you know, army, Marine or Air Force, you know, from day one in the Navy school, it takes you about nine months, depending on how the holidays fall. If you, mm -hmm. if you hit Christmas, it might extend your time a little bit, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving, if that falls under the nine months while you're there, which it did for me. And that's also saying that you make it past every one of the courses. Right. Typically speaking, you have three days of instruction, three days of practice, and then you're tested. Uh, you're first tested on a written test, and then you're tested on an actual practical test. Right. And one of the sayings in the EOD community is initial success or total failure. Makes a lot of sense, I guess, yeah. You don't get to, you don't, there's not a whole lot of room for, there's not a whole lot of margin for error. So most of your most of your, your, you know, any mistake that you would make would result in what they call a 16-point hit. Right. The passing score was 85. So if you got an 84, you're retaking the test the next day. Right. And, and it's not just U.S. munitions. You're talking foreign mm -hmm. from anywhere on the planet. You know, you could be tested on, on you know, Soviet-era weaponry, Chinese, Italian, you know, you name it, it, it might be there. It might be in the, the practical area where they have, you know, inert training aids where you're tested on your abilities to do the, the, the render safe procedure. Wow, that's very, very interesting. And I have two questions that just popped in my head Go immediately. Ahead. First is, and this is a horrible question, and I get it because it's Hollywood. But Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker. <laughs> it always comes to that. Every every time. So I will equate Hurt Locker to if you've ever watched a cop movie and think that that's what being a cop is like. Mm -hmm. There are nuggets of truth in the movie. Right. UD, we do have Barrett, you know, 50 cal rifles. We do have them. Right. They are on our inventory. We, we, have, we have the strack for the rounds, and we have the rifle. What we use them for is completely different, different than what they used them for in that movie. Right. We use them for what we call smutting, but that's completely different. <laughs> we use them for different things. Right. Completely different things uh, as what they used them for in the movie. And uh, one of my favorite scenes is when the guy is, is uh, when you got Jeremy Renner down there, and he, he goes and he, he's in Iraq and he's picking pulls up. up the all five. He, he pulls yeah. up the, these giant, which would probably be 152s, because Russians don't have 155s, they have 152s, which would weigh about the three millimeters difference, is not going to make a, a, a huge difference in the weight, which weigh around. 90 to 100 pounds a piece. <laughs> so he's lifting 
500 pounds up by debt cord, which the nose well would have been packed with, I'm assuming, Semtex. So they'd be, he'd be picking that up and expecting plastic explosive to not only hold its shape <laughs> inside the nose cone and lift it up from being submerged and, and you oh, know, 500 oh. pounds. So let's say yeah. he did even have the strength to do such. Not how you would do any of that. Right. <laughs> movie, movie, movie. I think totally that would be good. a very bold individual. Yeah. And and there, there are EOD techs, which we call, there are some that we call cowboys. Who like to deviate a little bit yeah. and kind of march to the beat of their own drum. They use their brain and overcome, adapt and overcome. And they are typically, you know, they like to come with alternate ways of doing things. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and there are definitely alternate ways of doing pretty much anything that you could think of. Well, and the second question I had for you, it's similar because you, you're a commissioned officer. Correct. So when you graduate RTC, you were commissioned, so you went to EOD school as a commissioned officer. Correct. Is it is it also for enlisted? And do you guys yes. go to school at the same time and do the same yes. things? We go, we test the same tests. We do the same, same class. Most of the instructors, well, in fact, all of them are typically enlisted or retired individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the retired individuals are also enlisted. You know, each division kind of had its own, you know, had its own leadership, and they all fell underneath a Navy captain that was kind of the head honcho that oversaw mm -hmm. the school. The the school is is definitely it's it's its own animal. Yeah, a difficult school. Every day is a is a gut check. Um, every day you you must be locked in. You know, you you come and you start you started at six thirty in the morning. You'd be there at six thirty in the morning, and you wouldn't leave till you know, 4.30, uh, you know, every every night. It's a difficult course. And then when you get out in the, in the real world, it's, it's difficult too. Absolutely. Um, you know, because it, it's one simple mistake, you know, could could be, uh, could be could cost somebody their life. Absolutely. So you, you, you've got to be locked in at all times. So how long were you actually in the service? Um, I was in the Army. It took me through, so from the day I, I started, I commissioned, it took me, almost two years to get to my actual first unit, yeah. my first actual unit. So I, I, when I graduated from EOD school, I was actually already promoted once nice. to first lieutenant, right. uh, from second lieutenant to first lieutenant. So, and then I continue, I had to serve three years of, I had three, obli uh, three years obligated to service after completion of the school. Okay. So uh, because the, the, the military invests so much money in you, they make you sign an agreement saying, hey, you're not just, gonna get out tomorrow and walk out on the streets. You know, right. after we put invested all that money in you, you know, even though my, my initial service obligation was only three years, uh, three years active duty, and then five years, you know, in the inactive ready reserve, I continued to serve, you know, for, for a total of three years. So it was up just about, it was just under five years active duty. It was like four years, nine months, 12 days, not counting or anything. Right. Uh, but that's what my DD-214 says. Uh, so I, I served the three years to the day from the the unit I the from the time I showed up on my unit's books. Okay. So. And then you went on and you did National Guard time too. Correct. And I served as an EOD officer in the National Guard as well. So I, as a captain, on a brigade level staff, you are not very important. But <laughs> they they I. I, I'll say that I, I wasn't important, but they, they valued me. It was a different type of mission. 
it was a very different type of mission. Right. It was very you're at working at echelons above reality is what I call it. You know, it's you're 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 planning and and for uh, you know training, and, and the National Guard is a whole other animal too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it has its own its own speak and its own you know which is completely different than active duty, but. For a lot of people, the National Guard is a great opportunity. I will never discourage anybody from joining the National Guard. Anybody who's active duty, who talks bad about the National, there's a lot of people that'll talk bad about the National Guard, and they'll, yeah. they'll they, you know, they have names for them, and they, you know, they, they say all this and that. And I'm like, well, I would encourage you to do a couple years in the National Guard and, and see what they're actually going up against. And my experience was the National Guard soldiers oftentimes we're just as well trained. Mm -hmm. So how many years total did you end up doing both active duty and um, guard time? It was just under 10 years. About 10 service. years. And um, during that time, did you spend any time overseas? Yes, I deployed to Afghanistan while I was active duty. Please join us next week for the exciting conclusion with Lieutenant Kirst as he heads into his deployment.